Hi, I'm Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. A lot of great music has come out of Ireland, and in honor of St. Patrick's Day, we're talking about U2, the most successful band to ever come out of the Emerald Isle. They're a group who believes that rock and roll can change the world, and they use their music and fame to campaign for causes like human rights, the environment, AIDS awareness, and poverty. Over the course of their 45-year career, they've stayed relevant by consistently evolving their sound and reinventing themselves. They've sold an estimated 170 million records, have more Grammys than any other band in history, and have put on some of the highest-grossing tours of all time. On today's episode of Prisoners of Rock and Roll, we're going to talk about their legendary career and then get up close and personal with the Joshua Tree, their smash hit and one of their best-selling albums of all time. So settle in with a pint of Guinness or a glass of Jameson and let's get Irish. Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. We're still in the fight. When you get to the bottom, you go back to the top of the slide, and you stop, and you turn, and you go for the Then you get to the bottom, then you see me What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Prisoners of Rock and Roll, episode lucky 13. Today, I am your host, Bruce McCramer, and I'm here with Ryan McCusker and Doug McCusker. Aaron Gobra. Are you rocking up there? Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by McCusker's Tavern in Philadelphia, and we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. So this is our St. Patrick's Day episode. Yeah. We had a schedule laid out, and we moved everything to do this one. Bruce, so. I'm, I'm loving your leprechaun outfit. Yes. Yes. Top you, of the morning to you. Yes. The beard, the red beard is what really brings it all The lucky together. charms that you have. Uh, Enough yeah. Guinness. Yes. Yes. So, uh, yeah, man. So we kicked around a, a lot of ideas on how to what we were going to do for this one. There's a lot of great music that came out of Ireland. But we ultimately decided we were going to settle in and talk about U2. And then we settled in a little bit more. And so let's talk about The Joshua Tree. I mean, that's one of the greatest selling albums of the last 50 years. And it's one of my favorite albums, period. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's one of a kind. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, of course, we have some listener feedback. We got some comments on our last episode. And then we'll send a song to the electric chair. Electric chair. So uh, let's hit it. I, Ireland, I guess before we even started this, I backed up a little bit and I was thinking about all of the bands that have come out of Ireland and the enormous contribution that they've made to Western music. I mean, it's probably outside of the United States and Great Britain. Well, they were so inspired by Western music. Just look at Rattle and Hum. You know, yeah. and the Joshua Tree, what they did, because that's why you know it's what's great about you two at times. Not it doesn't work for them all the times when they're always changing their sound and cha- changing their persona, who they are. Yeah, the Joshua Tree is one of the greatest albums ever made from start to end. One thing that I found out was crazy about the Joshua Tree. Joshua's Tree was like one of the first CDs to come out when they used to release CDs back in the eighties. They released the vinyl and the tape, and then two weeks later, they would release the CD. So instead of doing that, they released all, all of them at the same time. All three formats. All three formats at the same time. And I think it's the first CD to sell a million copies, the Joshua Tree. And in terms of rock and roll, I mean, nobody has accomplished what they've done. I mean, they've been around for 45 years, 
and yet they're still relevant. You know, they're yeah. not like an oldies act. They're, they're always reinventing themselves. I mean, you can break down their career into like these phases. And I mean, their, their stage shows are huge productions. Their music talks about politics and they're all about being socially responsible. And, and they're really as a band. I mean, their band is function as a unit. The four of them are just like one cohesive unit. Yeah. They all need each other. Yeah. They yeah. never change any members. Adam Clayton, he had, you know, he was going to leave the band, and instead of getting another bass player, they decided, like, well, if Adam leaves the band, that's the end of this band. And, like, you know, those guys never, they did little projects by themselves. Remember the Passengers? Yes, with Brian Passen- Eno and yeah. Pavarotti. Yeah, yeah. remember that weirdo thing? Yeah. I think they all give, the, the band gets all of the writing credits on all of their albums. Like, mm. they've never really singled out one of them. I guess... Mullen and Clayton, they did that song from uh, Mission, Mission Impossible. Impossible, which was really it was a cool version. Yeah, I always thought that they really like Bono never did anything like solo by himself. Like he never put out a solo album by himself. I always loved that he like did everything with the band. The same thing with the Edge. The Edge could make a solo album; it'd be awesome. Yeah, but do you think that they know that they're a only good as a unit. Like, even though Bono did, like, he worked with Sinatra, or he worked with, like, a million other big-time acts, but they never really did anything besides outside the band. Yeah, I don't, you know? I, I don't know. That's kind of surprising that Bono never did it, because he could have easily done it. He, you know, like he, like he said, you know, he played with Pavarotti and every major pop star there is. He made a recording with them, but he never put out the Bono solo album. Yeah, because he could have easily pulled off, like, a Freddie Mercury went off and... It could have been shit. Without without yeah. the edge, yeah, you know? absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. So I think the way we're going to tackle this is we're going to kind of run through their career real quick, up through the Joshua Tree, and then we're going to go track by track. We've never done that before, but we're going to take a look at each song on the Joshua Tree, and then we'll we'll wrap it up and and call it a night. Okay, we're going to start back how this band started. You know, Northern Ireland was not a happy place to live in the seventies. They were just like you know rubble everywhere. The IRA was fighting the, the British. There was just rubble everywhere, riots. A lot of poverty. A lot of, just a lot of problems, you know? In 1978, a 14-year-old boy named Larry Mullen posted at a school billboard for forming a band. Six people showed up. Three of them was Bono, Adam, and Edge. And Edge's brother, Mick. They said to each other, we're going to be a band. You're going to play guitar to the Edge, and they, they automatically start writing their own songs. They never yeah. they never did covers. You know why they said they never did covers? Because they didn't know how to play an instrument. And they, they said that we were god-awful. Yeah. So we weren't talented enough to play, like, Clash songs and, all, you know, all popular, you know, whatever popular at that time. So they decided to write their own songs. And it was like yet another band who admits that they didn't really know how to play their no. instruments when they started. How many times have we heard that story over the time I, we've done this? I think all the great bands are that way. Yeah, like, take The Edge, for example. He's definitely self-taught. Nobody can do what The Edge does. Only The Edge can does. We, You know, sometimes you see them go play live, because me and Ryan seen them a million times, and we'll go every time they come. And we're, like, you know, where The Edge is standing that's hooked up to his guitar, you can launch a space shuttle from where he's yeah. standing. That's how much junk he has on his... And it's great, you know? That's part of his sound. He's never stopped searching no. for different sounds. I was reading about like their influences and reading that they said that they were really influences by bands like Television and the Buzzcocks and the Sex Pistols and the Clash and yeah, you know, that they really come out of that post-punk era of the late 70s. 
yeah, you know, they were just being kind of like a, a new wave-ish kind of punk rock band. They were just trying to find a sound that, that sounded like them. They were having problems looking for a band name. First, they went for Feedback. Can you imagine Feedback? Feedback be a good name for a band. Well, uh, I read I read that also, and uh, Bono said that the name the band Feedback because that's all you would hear yeah, from, from them playing. <laughs> the the other one was the hype. They what? wanted to name the hype. Did that did that eventually come another band the hype? Because I read that also. It's like, oh. a great so that's a great band name, especially yeah. for that time because it's such a big like expression word used all the time. It just come remind me from like the eighties, like something that Madonna would have been involved in like a band called the hype or something yeah. like that. But in March, 1978, they officially became U2. At that time, Dick Evans, the Edge brother went off to college and it was just the four of them. Now you had Bono, the edge, Adam and Larry, and they were now U2. I also read Bono has never been really happy with, the band name U2. Yeah. I've heard out of all the names that they were kicking around that they said they settled on U2 because that's the one they hated the least right. out of all the <laughs> all the other ones. I always thought it was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, looking as a fan all my life, you know, like, man, what a great name that is. Just a U and a two. There's certainly worse ones out there. So, Like the Cranberries. They're from Ireland. Right. And that's the worst name. Right. They're not the Butthole Surfers or <laughs> some of those other bands that their name has gotten in their way. One thing I thought was interesting is in their early years, too, that they enter a talent show that's put on by Harp Lager and a local newspaper. And the prize was 500 pounds in a recording session that would go to CBS. And they wound up winning that. Oh, wow. And that's where they, get, they cut their first demo. And it, it doesn't do real well. I mean, you think about all the crap that things like American Idol and all those other like oh it's a talent contest but it's, right. that's where they got their one of their starts was entering a talent contest see I heard another story from Bono saying their first attempt of recording was a song called Out of Control they all borrowed money from their parents to go to Ireland or to go to London I'm sorry and record this demo they were trying to make a band out of can we play a little bit of that real fast? Yeah, sure. Not bad for their first go. Yeah, so that was, I that, guess their, their, the demo with CBS flops, and then their manager, Paul McGinnis, which is a total Irish name, mm. uh, gets them another demo session, and they release an EP called Three that had three songs on it, so it was mm. called U23, mm-hmm. and that song was one of the three that were on it. What a great song. That, that song is. still yeah. gets me it's going. A great, it's it one of my favorite song. songs. They, they play it live still, and it still gets the crowd going. And, and, and like Bono would be like, we're a band called U2 from Ireland, and this is our first single, yeah. Out of Control. But it's great. Like, all the pieces are there very early. You know, like, all the, whatever U2 is, like, the foundation is in that first song. I just, that first sound that they make is the U2 sound. Yeah. You know, um, uh, Adam's driving bass is just 
carries that whole weight of the band. Um, Larry's drumming is like so forceful forward. And, and Bono, man, he, he, right, it's just like, who's this guy? Right, right off the bat to me. Like the level of his voice that gets so it's just like the, like the, the volume that he gets out of, out, you get out of Bono. It's, it's really amazing. You know, I've always yeah. said that. I've always said that. Yeah. And that song, you know, out of control that we just played, it's on their demo, but two of the three songs from that demo wind up on their, their first album, including yeah. that one. Yeah, their first album was called Boy, and it was released on Island Records. Um, Steve Lilly, who produced it, the first single they had off of that album was 11 O'Clock TikTok. I was never really a fan of that song. I like that song. I'm a big fan of that song. He's a big deal, Steve Lillywhite, because he produces their first couple albums. And he did, he worked with um, Simple Minds, The Talking Heads, The Rolling Stones, The Pogues. Peter Gabriel, Fish, Dave Matthews, XTC, Susie and the Banshees. And I guess the band invited him to come in because they just they didn't like the way that recording session was going. And he wasn't really sure that they were a fit for him. And then he went and saw them live. And he was like, all right, I'm in. Sure. And um, I was reading a little bit about this dude and like kind of what his, his bag was. And he said he had this vision for what he called 3D sound. And you hear that and then you kind of think of U2 and like how how like big their sound is now or in this early stuff. So they, they recorded it in um, a studio called windmill lane that was supposed to be like, this is the best studio in Ireland. But a lot of the music that was coming out of Ireland was all like folk music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. the studio like acoustically just didn't work for them. So they had like Larry Mullen set up his drums in a stairwell. Yeah. And they were hanging the, uh, the mics from the ceiling and they had to have him play his drums at night because the lobby was right near the door for the stairs. So whenever the phone would ring, the mics would pick it up. <laughs> so they had to like record it all these different times. It was pretty cool. Yeah. He was really into a lot of different things, but recording Lily White, he was like throwing bottles on the floor. He was rolling things like you can hear him around on the recordings on there. The, uh, second single off of that album was A Day Without Me. It never got to the charts. It really didn't do much for them. It kept you two at a certain level. They they did pretty well for that first album. Yeah, and there's a lot of songs on this album that are about like sex and adolescence and growing up and even the um like the album cover was censored when it came to America because people were afraid that it was like endorsing pedophilia with a I picture of this like that. shirtless yeah. kid. Yeah, I remember yeah, it's reading a strange that. album cover. It, it is. I, I read too that uh, Steve Lillywhite was he had to use a lot of splicing and overdubs to get the rhythm section to keep pace with the music and that comes up a couple times on these early albums that like the drums and the bass they can't keep up mm-hmm. I have, just thought that was interesting they have such a different time signature that U2 has um, Larry Mullen is, is, everything's like a march marching beat yeah. you know and Adam is like like I said he's the bottom yeah, he's the bottom all. end of he's everything. He's the bottom end of everything, and Edge paints on top of it, you know? Yeah. I also noticed as I was listening to this album that uh, out of the 11 songs, six of them are more than four minutes. So that's like, it's there's a lot of really long sure. songs. Yeah. Mono's got a lot to say, yeah. even as a young lad. And, and they're not, at this point, I mean, their music sounds a little rougher than some of their newer stuff. And they're not singing about saving the world yet. No, know, because just, as punk, you know, like you said, like I was talking about earlier, like they weren't good enough to play their instruments and this and that. That's the sound that came out. I prefer, I prefer that rather I, yeah, than that yeah. polished thing. I, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I love a lot of the newer U2 stuff. Like when I say newer, I mean like in the last 20 years, but, um, 
like I, I love that that rawness that they had. You know, they were still kind of really hungry. Yeah, you know? they have that still like that whatever they were calling new wave. Yeah. Um, Do you think they were new wave? I never, I never yeah. put them in the new wave category. They're always just been their own thing. Let's think like pre. Let's think on this album by itself. Okay. You know, Bono with the haircut and and the edge. Yeah, the no, big, I hear you. You know, with yeah. the white shirt on yeah. and like just their their whole image is new wave. But um, then they developed into this rock and roll band, like you know, they, yeah, like they evolved. Yeah, by the time I guess by the time we'll talk about, I guess the, by the time they got to the Joshua Tree, they kind of grew out of that, yeah. that new wave. But I never really thought about. It, but now that you said it, I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah, you know they have, they have bands like Flock Seagull out yeah. there, were like yeah. around. Bono was whipping around his hair, doing some yeah. strange shit yeah. with it. Get that crazy mullet going yeah. on. Yeah, but the, but even back then, I'm sure people could tell. Like, man, this bit, like you got your flock of seagulls, but then you have you two. You could and definitely put you that you two song on though, and do the Molly Ringwald song. Probably that's how you know it's eighties. Probably, yeah. No, no, it's definitely very eighties. But, but that's you, like I said, you you go now and see them. Yeah, and we're me and you go fucking ape shit when they play that song live. Yeah. yeah. That's like one of my favorite Cause, songs cause we of all know time. It's, we know it's a demo, and that's, yeah. that that's our thing, man. And it's always special when they play that when they play that song, and he goes into the spiel like, "Hey, uh, we're a band from uh, Ireland. We're called yeah. You Too." And like, I just you know, but the like the hair on my arm starts standing yeah. up. You know, I hope you like us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I hope you like it. You know, they toured a little bit of boy more locally than anything, and with, but the boys all had a little wages came to them. With that money that the Edge made, he bought a delay effects unit, which we know is his sound. Yeah. You know? And um, he made a documentary not too long ago with Jack White and Jimmy Page called The Mike It Loud. And I think he pulls out that board. He, like, saves everything. Yeah. I think he just has, like, a little apartment in Dublin where he keeps all his, like, stuff at. But that delay effect is his signature sound. Yeah. Definitely. That sound was really going to be a big effect on our next album, October. If Boy was their sexuality adolescence album, October is their spiritual album. Uh, this one's not my favorite. Out of yeah, stuff. October's not my favorite. This is a story that I read. Bono, you know, they're playing a gig out in Oregon, Portland, Oregon. And they're playing a gig, and they're all their shits backstage and whatever. They turn around for one second. Somebody steals Bono's briefcase. Really? Filled with, with all the lyrics, song in lyrics it. for the October album. So now they're like, holy shit. All, all those lyrics, all those songs. Now they're franticking. Mm-hmm. Now they're like, oh my God, we have an album we have to make in like two weeks. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? They're writing songs on the tour bus. They're like, you know, mm-hmm. they're like really trying to figure it out. I think that's why why the album's not that great. Yeah, they said Bono was like sitting at the mic in uh, Windmill Lane Studio trying to write the lyrics. Meanwhile, he knows that the the meters running, that they're paying whatever, sure, fifty bucks an hour to be there. So they're like, we got to get this done. So they came over to the states pretty early in their career. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I didn't think that. I thought that they they would at least hang out until like the least. Great, get more popularity unless they were like automatically like really popular. Somebody yeah. returned that suitcase to him within the last like fifteen years. Really, yeah, yeah, whoever I remember had hearing it that. returned it to him. He probably looked at. He's a perfectionist. He probably looked at. He's like, oh, good thing you stole it because right. junk. Yeah. Um. I also read that they that when they went back into the studio into that place that Steve Lillywhite 
told Larry Mullen, like, nah, man, you don't have to put the drums in the stairway this time. Yeah. Just put him in the room with everybody. And in hindsight, they said that they regret that, that they didn't do that. That they didn't put it back in the stairway. In the stairway. So they said it just didn't, it didn't the deliver sound. the result that they were looking for. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it has a different sound, though. It, even though it's the same studio, maybe that's a big part of it. I think if you don't have a good drum track down, you know, you got nothing. It's yeah. a shame, like that, you know, the, the, the clock is running, the meter's running. You can't be like, oh, well, let's go back. I'm not happy with this. You know, to be in, in a rhythm section, you kind of just always have to go with, roll with, with the punches and just, all right, well, this is as good as going to get for now. We got to focus more on vocals and, gets, and the guitar. And they're not at a point in their career no. where they can just go like, no, and just waste right, the just money. Time yeah. out. Right, right. Yeah. They're like, if yeah. they're doing it now, who, who cares? Yeah. They could go live in yeah. the studio if they want to. Yeah. And let yeah. the meter run. But, you know, they record October. It comes out. And with their first single was Fire. It, it did pretty well, you know, in on the charts in the UK. It went to, uh, they were on top of the pops. You know, after majority of opening for gigs, you know, they're really getting their names out there. It, it does pretty well in England and Ireland. It goes in, it's a top 20. And uh, the US, it does worse than Boy does. What do we have on October over there? Uh, we got Fire on here. You want to play that? Yeah, play that. Yeah, that song definitely sounds more new wave. Yeah, they than definitely anything. were were like going with the times right then. It's I can't say it's my favorite thing. No, October's not my favorite album. Yeah. I mean yeah. I like that album they gave away for free more than I like. Really? That, album. <laughs> that was the worst thing I ever heard in my life. Remember so I like every, it more than October. Though. Do you remember when they did that? Everybody got so pissed off because you, you wake up the next day and you could be like a teenage kid who have no idea who you two is. And now, and, and now it's on your phone and you can't get it off of there. Uh, that was a bad move. And that album sucked. That was horrible. Yeah, and they, it wasn't and people, very good. people were blaming Bono and you two. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, they bought it from us, so they could yeah. do whatever they want. Apple, it wasn't us. It was Apple. It wasn't Apple us. Apple bought that. Yeah. Um, Likely story. But, you know, they're on toy tour. They're doing their thing. And sex, drugs, and rock and roll was going strong with you, too. Were they? You think yeah, they were, they're they a rock like, band. They're a touring rock band. I can see Adam you know, doing you, it. You know, yeah. they were all... Come on. No, they I'm were teenagers, you. basically. Yeah. They're thrown around in America. They were definitely... Sex, drugs, and rock and roll was you know. sure. So uh, you know, Bono and Edge, you know, they're very Catholic. Yeah, they are. They're very they Catholic, are. and they were yeah. ready to quit the band. Yeah, they were like, we're going against everything that we we believe in with all this sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I think I think Larry co- was in there too because they were part of the same church Larry, group or something like that. Larry's the one that talked them out of it. Yeah, Larry's but, like, "You guys are full of shit." Yeah, it's yeah. Like, no, we're keeping this band going. Yeah, but they were they were think they were sinning so bad that they were yeah. ready to give it up. And Larry's like, "No, it's the complete opposite. We're being put together for a reason." How crazy! Like the naiveness, even though they're still. You know, they're still touring, they're making albums, they've been exposed to the whole lifestyle. And they're they're saying they're just like small hometown guys. Dude, the Catholics are crazy fucking people. I know. I, you don't have to tell me, man. I know this for a fact. 
but it's just uh, no offense to anybody. But um, just just how much you know a part of their life it was. It is you know uh, it's amazing to me that they were willing to throw it all away because of their beliefs. It was it was looking bad, dude. It was looking bad for them. Now, what do you think Adam was like? Adam's like, nah, this is great because they say Adam's the greatest rock star of all time. He was like born a rock star. Oh, I don't know anything about that, but I I just read about Bono Edge being these hardcore Catholics and ready yeah. to give up yeah. everything because they thought they were going against everything by being sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But what they did do is they returned to Windmill Lane Studio to record War. Yeah, so I guess we set the timeline here. So Boy comes out October 1980. October comes out October 1981. War comes out February 1983. So they're really they're kind of in a groove here. It's yeah. like every year, give mm-hmm. or take a couple year and a half, they're turning out an album. And here's really great. Like the War album cover is the same kid from the Boy album cover. Yes, I always thought that was great. Yeah, he just looks a little bit more cynical. Yeah, like he's like, oh, you know, he's I, older, I a couple know, years older. Yeah. I know what it's about now. Yeah, you know, so. Then this one is if you had the adolescent sexual album, you had the spiritual album. This is the political album. This is the beginning of it. Yeah. This is the beginning of it all. And this one really has like a post punk sound to it. Like I put in my notes, I can make a much easier musical connection from War to Boy mm-hmm. than I can from War to October. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is like when, in your guys' opinion, is this the when they become the U two that we know this, today? This this era of U two. This yeah. is when it starts. Yeah. yeah. That that kid too was also on the cover of their their demo three. Oh, was so, he? Yeah, so, was he? Oh, yeah. That's that's interesting. Before they recorded War, all the guys were on vacation. Um, Bono got married. You know, they all were spending their money, and the Edge sat back and wanted to find his sound. He really put a lot of time in the songwriting. He put a lot of time in to his effects on his brand new effects pedal that he had. But that's such a big part of that is the edge is those effects pedals and that just you know, shows delays. You yeah. Practice makes perfect, you know? Or you find the right toys to play with. Steve Lilly, he agreed again to do another album with them. He had a politics that he never worked with a band more than twice, but he said, you know what, this band is so good, I'm gonna do it again. Hmm. It sounds like he made the right choice. Yeah, yeah. He, like, this time around, he made Larry use a click track. Oh, I read that before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and Larry pace. was like pissed off. So what? I, what if somebody told you, "Hey, Rye, we're going to make you use a, cl- a click track"? I, I think that's a good idea. Really? I would say okay. yes. I think okay. it's a great idea. <laughs> and this album sounds a little harder than the other ones. Like they're they're really kind of finding their sound here. You want to play something off of it? Yeah, man. Fast? Yeah. What do you want to hear? New Year's Day is on this one. Yeah, play a little bit of that. All right. I've heard that song over a thousand times in my life, and I'll never get tired of it. Yeah, I really like that song, too. That song was released January 1st, 1983. It went number 10 on the UK. Um, War was released in February 83. Um, in the States, New Year's Day had a steady radio play, and it went to number 53 on the on the top 100. Critics had really bad reviews about about the album, 
but it debuted number one in the UK and number 12 in the US. Yeah, it knocked Thriller out of the number one spot in the United Kingdom. You know, they were playing these anthems. You know, this is the album that Sunday Bloody Sunday came off of. Um, If you don't know, that's about the Bogside Massacre. There was 13 that were killed and a lot were shot running away from the English army. They were doing a peaceful protest. That's It was a Sunday. It was Easter Sunday, actually, um, in, in 1972. And it was just a peaceful protest. And they cut them down up against the wall. And they just shot children, old women, men. Like I said, 13 died and plenty of more were injured. But it was called the Bogside Massacre. And that's what Sunday Bloody Sunday is about. Now you think about being like we were all very young when that album came out. So, like you said, it knocked Thriller off the U- number one out of UK. It definitely had to make people start listening to music a little bit different than they were doing at the time. Yeah, it all was pop music. Now you had this kind of like political starting of this political band starting to make statements in their music, more complex songs, more complex rhythms. Like we said, this was the beginning of U2 becoming what they are known as today, you know? Yeah, def- I, I, I can't think of another, like, contemporary band that is so into, like, the politics. You know, like, punk music yeah. always had that undercurrent. You had a lot of stuff earlier in the 60s, like the stuff in California, mm-hmm. you know, like the Birds and Credence yeah. and stuff like that. But nobody, like, in this yeah. era is doing that. Because, but- like, when when U2 was doing this, like, just look at the background they grew up in. Like, you know, with the, 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 like the story you just told with Sunday Bloody Sunday. They lived this. This is, like, in their backyard when you have other artists, like, not growing up in these desolate places. So they have something to say. It's definitely something different that never happened before. Like you had the Beatles saying, singing about revolution and this and that, but these guys lived in it. Yeah, they were dodging bullets their yeah. whole life, you know, staying staying the hell away from the English soldiers. Because bon, like Bono, he he's from Northern Ireland, correct? Like he's from Northern Ireland. And he would go to a school. The art school that he went to was attended by Protestants and Catholics. That was unheard of. That's why he went to that school. Yeah. Like they kept everything out of it where it was just about the arts, you know? And I always thought it was an interesting like background for him to grow up in and becoming uh, an artist himself. Going back to war, war became very successful. So the bands start playing bigger venues. They were playing theaters. Now they're playing arenas. Mm. The highlight of the show is Bono coming out with the white flag, singing Blood Sunday, Bloody Sunday. He's becoming this front man that we know is now. He's coming out of his shell, and he's giving everybody a piece of his mind now, which not is always political. You know, you know, a lot of the songs are about love. Sure. Yeah. You know? Sure. Just the little things he says in between songs. But he was becoming this amazing front man to what he is today. And he's the best in the game. He's like one of the best to still be around. There's a reason why he's still around. Absolutely. There's a reason why he's still relevant. On that tour, Doug, you know what they would end with on that tour? They would end with 40. Remember 40? Uh, No, I can't say I do. Come on. We got wasted drunk that one time, and we went and saw you two, and they ended with 40. And they leave the band. They leave the stages while everybody screams was how long to oh, sing this yeah, song. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, That's it was, a great moment it was, in the show. It was yeah. great, Bruce. Like, 
everybody leaves one by one, and Larry's the last one playing drums, and everybody's singing, how long we sing this song? Yeah, the lyrics are based on uh, the 40th Psalm for the Bible, mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. another very spiritual song. Dude, me, me and Doug were all drunk on the fucking subway, like, <laughs> yeah, singing yeah. it, like, screaming it, and screaming. people screaming, trying to get them to sing it. Yeah, they play that almost every show. It's been, like, yeah, they've played yeah. that like over 400 times yeah. live. It, it's a it's a good moment to show. Yeah, very cool. Is that it on that album? Yeah, after a successful tour in 83, they came out with an EP called Under a Bloody Red Sky. It was the first time I ever saw U2 Sunday Bloody Sunday was from the video from Red Rocks. I got to say the same. That's the first time my first my first exposure to U2 is seeing that video. Can we play a little bit on that? It's a Sunday Bloody Sunday from yeah. the Red Rocks. Yeah. He he gets so angry when he would sing that because he felt that emotion. Like you know, you, you'll see things like in Ronald Hum, and like just the emotion comes over him. Like when Dude, he performs that song, but like when you said it was like in his backyard. Yeah. How can you not like picture these images? Yeah. of these pussy British fucking soldiers. Yeah. just going up and punching an old woman in the fucking yeah. face because they fucking yeah. feel like it. Yeah, and you got a thousand. You're performing a song. You got a thousand, thousands of people with you. In the you song, the, the opening, like, I read the news today, yeah. makes me think of uh, A Day in the Life from the Beatles. Yeah. You know, like, I read the news yeah. today, oh boy, and then that's the very proper British song, and then this is about this, this horrible stuff that's going mm-hmm. on a couple hundred miles away. Talking about Under a Bloody Red Sky, the Sunday Bloody Sunday video part was recorded at Red Rocks in Colorado. This became pretty famous. Rolling Stone magazine called it one of the most 50th Things that changed rock and roll history. I I love that video. It's unbelievable. It makes me want to go to Red Rocks. Like I've never been to Red Rocks. I, I'm amazed that we've never been there. I'm amazed by that. But that's like the performance of Red Rock. Like you know what I mean? Like it was built for that for that video or for that song. You know, he's with carrying around the flag and there's rocks behind him and he's got the the flames flowing. Well, yeah, he's trying to change the world. But you had, like there's it's symbolic and symbolic. Like you have you have them trapped trying to make a difference, make a change, you, you know, you make know, sure this never happens again, you know? And it's, if you're, if you've never seen them live, it's your first time to hear them live and hear how much passion they have. And you're like, holy shit, you know, this band's for real. Yeah. But you know, live at Red Rocks changed rock and roll history. And it's, again, it's another moment where I, there's three themes in every episode we do. It's about how the music makes you feel. None of these bands know how to play their instruments, <laughs> and MTV plays a huge role in their popularity. Sure, uh, sure. You know, it's it's every episode we're talking about those three things. But that's but that's what it is, though. You know, it's it was a definitely a different time. Bono was made for MTV. He he played the part. I think he plays the part a little a little bit too much. I forget he's been famous for so long. I think he forgets Just, uh, who, yeah. who he really is. Yeah, yeah. Like not you know if you ever do have a chance to go see you two live, it's something very special, and you'll know. Major- like majority of the songs 
but like I think a lot of that show is all scripted and it's all like the same thing every night. Well, yeah, yeah. when you have like you know big video screens, yeah, that are on like a time delay. Yeah, every night it's got to be on. I, I admire that. So do I. I admire it's putting on a play. The, you know that you have it like sharp as a pick. Red Rocks on MTV definitely changed what Sunday Bloody Sunday was. It was always memorable in my mind of Bono waving that flag around, the flame in the background. You know, it was it, it to this day you watch it and it still shows the passion that Bono had for that song. Like how Ryan said earlier, like this is like probably our first exposure to what U two was. And like back then, you know, we're listening to hair band music and you know, bands like Poison and whatever. And then you see this band that's something different. It's not hair. It's not this. It's not that. And it's it was just something that kind of was, I guess, a bridge to like more classic rock that we start listening to. Yeah. I know? don't know what what even, like you said, like we, they, we were only into like hair band music. Um, we were kids. Yeah. Um, we, I think U2 is a little bit way over our head. Yeah. I think that's what it was. They, we we could not even understand what their music was about. We, we just knew it was something different. It was it wasn't yeah. glitter, like man, what is this? It's not glittery. It's not yeah. this. It's not that. Like you know, I knew from seeing the Red Rocks video of him waving the white flag that he was singing something about war. Sure, you know, um, I always will have that visual of him saying no more. But that's probably a testament to their music. Then, like if you can't get it or you don't know what they're singing about, but you're still enjoying it. Yeah, as a kid, you know, it, I I don't know what he was saying, but I was saying no more along with him. Yeah, you're you know? like you're you're down with the music, even though if the message yeah, is I, is lost on I had no age. idea what he was talking about, but Bono got to me. Let's keep on moving, guys. Their next attempt was the Unforgettable Fire. So this album really it moves away from some of the harder stuff in War. They recorded it in a different studio. And they're not working with Steve Lillywhite anymore. No, they brought in Brian Eno. Um, Brian Eno got them this, to record the album at Sling Castle in Ireland. Um, I think that's why it has such a, a crazy sound to it. And I think as the war tour was ending, Bono starts talking like in uh, concerts at the end of shows. He talks about that they're going to comp- they're either going to completely change the sound of the band or they're just going to break up. Yeah, and they're going to go their other way, and. Uh, when they decide that they want to bring Brian Eno on board, Island Records is like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. the formula's been working here, guys. Yeah. And they were afraid. I mean, Brian Eno's a really eccentric dude. They're like, uh, yeah. Island Records said, uh, he's going to bury your music under a layer of avant garde nonsense. Mm-hmm. And, and Brian Eno's really one of those dudes that looks at the studio as like an instrument with the. You know, oh, sure. You know, he's like, like a Phil Spector. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good. Yeah. yeah. What was some of the other stuff that he worked on prior to uh, that album? He was Echo and the Bunny Men. Who? Echo and the Bunny Men. Nah, man. Who? Come on. You heard of Echo and the Bunny Men. No. So he produced uh, Genesis. He produced some Talking Heads, Devo. Before he starts working with you too, so okay. so yeah. You know. yeah, if he's on board with the Talking Heads, he did a couple albums with the Talking Heads. Hey, I mean, you're they're, good with you know, me. They're they're pretty eccentric too. Sure. So yeah. David Byrne and Brian Eno put together is making some really interesting music. So yeah, man, he signs on the album cover, Unforgettable Fire. That's a reference to the bombing of Hiroshima. So mm-hmm. the, you know the politics is kind of right in front of your face. 
they start recording it in Slane Castle, and they wind up finishing it back at Windmill Lane Studios. In this album, you can really hear some of the Joshua Tree sounds starting to come out. I agree. Especially Definitely. songs for, like from Bad, uh, In the Name of Love, totally. You, you hear like this big guitar sound. Not the, quite the opening door to that U2, what we know today, but it's definitely a big, huge part of what they're known for today. Yeah. And, like, you know, going back, like, you know, they're changing their sound. They're going to change. But that's, you know, time to, to tell the story that that's what they're known for. What they're going to change all, all the time. They had, they, U2 didn't have a tradition. No, and that's great. You know, and they didn't want to become this big arena band. They didn't know what they want. They wanted to have their cake and eat it at the same time. They didn't want to become, like, this huge... Bon Jovi band, glitter and and costume changes and everything at the time. Mm-hmm. They you know they just wanted to be this rock and roll band and just go out there. But I kept I felt I feel that they to some point kept true to to their roots, like what you're saying, like the costume changes and this and that. You know, uh, it's definitely very theatrical, and Bono definitely does play that card a lot. Later on, in life. Story. later yeah. on, yeah. But when Unforgettable Fire came out, it was just them. And the stage, mm. and it was just like leaving a pint of blood on the stage every night. That's what. That's how I think they made their biggest following in America is from YouTube playing Live Aid. Sure, I yeah, think, that that's when they get huge, and we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But yeah. yeah, that's when they they really jump on the stage. I mean, we're just talking about the connection between this album and Joshua Tree. I mean, looking at the track listing here, some of these songs like Pride and and Bad. I mean, they. They could be on the Joshua Tree, sure and they, they would fit. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's the same. It's the same sound. Rolling Stone magazine called them the band of the '80s after Unforgettable Fire came out. Yeah, is that when they they were on Time magazine and they were like they the were only? On Time. That's they're the, the only Joshua Tree. Okay, that, that's when later on. Yeah, that's later on. That's the Joshua Tree, the fourth band ever to be on Time magazine's yeah hmm. cover. We got something from that album on our playlist. Yeah, um, Unforgettable Fires on here. Yeah, play Unforgettable okay. Fire. The critics really gave them a hard time. They actually said that the album sounds better live in concert than it did actual on album. I, you know, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, we weren't there. I don't know. Yeah, I know. But you hear songs like U2 does live. And, they, you know, you know, we've been to enough shows in our life, like through anything. Just because you record it one way doesn't necessarily mean that's the way you're going to play it forever. You know, like well, like turn, take on another life after you record it in you know in well, the studio. Well, this is like like I'm saying, this is like 1984. Sure, the the critics you know think their album is shit. They mm-hmm. don't like it at all, but they like it live, right? You know, I don't know. I no, don't no. get it. Critics, but, but like, they they don't understand each other. No, no, we 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 talk enough about critics and on this show and how you know their opinions yeah. are really not on a lot of the times. But no, you're absolutely right. You know. This, a few of these songs could have been on the Joshua Tree. Yeah, know? but you know, Unforgettable Fire, it went number one in the UK and, ex- and very successful in the US. Bad became a showstopper. Yeah, that's um, a great song. That's a great song. <laughs> 
No, it's a great album. Um, it's not the best album, but it, it sounds great. Brian Eno does some great work on it, and The Edge sounds great on it. So I think before we move into their next album, we should stop and talk a little bit about Live Aid. Yes. Right, because that happens chronologically yeah. before the Joshua Tree. So um, first of all, the most important thing is Bono has a friggin' fantastic mullet. Sure, he's <laughs> yes, a Live yes, Aid yeah, video. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, watched that, I watched a video of it the other night, and I'm like, man, that is a rockin' mullet. Yeah. I always said um, for years, Live Aid was the moment when 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 the band went on stage, they were just a band. When they came off the stage, they were U2. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, yeah. That's like what considered at the time like one of their greatest performances. They're like, oh, who's coming on? Oh, I don't know, some other band. Mm. And then they come on, and it's fucking U2, and, and yeah. they did that great performance yeah. that whole it's it's legendary queen yeah. Yeah. the queen performance and the u2 performance are legendary yeah you know you got bono he jumps down and he's dancing with with the women in the crowd and everything there's this one woman you see her he jumps all the way down and he pulls this girl out of the crowd and she's shivering. Mm-hmm. She starts yelling that she's getting crushed, crushed by the crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and he's yelling. He's gesturing at the security, like Let her get in. her over the barrier so mm-hmm. she doesn't get hurt. And mm-hmm. he's like trying to like c- c- calm her down. Yeah, so he's holding her, and he goes yeah. and like helps because yeah. like the security guards aren't aren't getting it. Like she's being crushed. Yeah, and he's like grabbing her, and then now he's like dancing with her, and she's like terrified. Yeah, like not that she's crying that she's dancing with Bono. No, no, that no. she was like literally out was gonna yeah. die. And that's, that's a, I never knew that. I, I thought it was just like a like a thing that he did, like a like a dramatical thing. I didn't know that, that no, had a he, purpose to he, it. He always did dance with girls yeah. that particular time. Yeah, though. just that he saw the girl look like she was being crushed. They only had twenty minutes to play, and they only played two songs because the version of Bad is twelve minutes long. Right, but dude, they really kick ass on it in Bad. It's fantastic. They they yeah. they break into Ruby Tuesday. They break and walk on the wild side. They break into something for the devil. They really got it in there in bed. And one of these days we'll do a show on Live Aid because sure. it's just like so yeah. much great music. But like, yeah. you know, like Queen gets the like the best, like the greatest performance of all time from from Live from Aid. my Live Aid. And like you know, YouTube is very popular. But I think that Queen, unfortunately, well, that Queen performed. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Queen played for a half hour. YouTube played for fifteen minutes. Yeah. But the but the success of Bad from Live Aid made the band put out an EP called Wide Awake in America, and it has a version of Bad on there that was live. They played the shit out of it on the radio. Um, Bruce, we have it on there. Can you play a little bit of yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. You can totally tell the difference of the live version. It just shows you how they were becoming this band that sound like nobody else 
but U2. It's one of my favorite U2 songs. That's just another song that I, I've listened to in like some tough times in my life. And I know yeah. it's not the, it's not the most pleasant lyrics in the world. I believe it's about people, two people like addicted to drugs, mm-hmm. but it's just a song I've just, I've just listened to a lot and it's just kind of, it's yeah. a staple. Hope in it. Yeah. yeah. It's a staple. No, it, it, it's always been special to me growing up. You've always Absolutely. liked that song. Since the first time you heard it, you've always liked that song. You know what? The first time I heard it was in Live Aid, actually. You know, and it made me was like, holy shit, what's this song? It wasn't Live Aid the day of. It was like a taping of Live Aid. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, I was like, holy shit, here's you too. But what's this song? I never even yeah. heard this song. But yeah, Bad is a badass motherfucking song. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great tune. So then the next album, man, is uh, The Joshua Tree. So I guess before we dive into that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And then we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about the album. We're going to go track by track through it. Sounds good? Sounds great. All right. right. We'll be back. This episode of The Prisoners of Rock and Roll is brought to you by McCusker's Tavern, located at 17th and Shunk Streets in South Philadelphia. McCusker's Tavern has been in business for more than 50 years, making it the oldest bar west of Broad Street and a city known for its neighborhood watering holes. Minutes from the sports stadium, McCusker's is a great place to stop in for a few beers before or after a game or a concert. There's a reason why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy have ranked it as one of the best dive bars in the city. Music is such an important part of McCusker's Tavern that we're actually recording this episode from there right now. They're currently closed due to the pandemic, but miss everyone and hope to see them soon. In the meantime, check them out on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. All right, we're back from the commercial break. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with us. So now we are ready to focus in on the Joshua Tree. If they've had their political album and they've had their adolescent album, this is the American album. Yes, they have a huge romance with America through their whole career. And this album definitely shows that. They were going to call it the Americans. I think they were going to call the album the Americans rather than the Joshua Tree. And they were working on it anyway. It was called the Americans. And I was reading a little bit around like the name of it. And Bono was talking about how like Joshua trees are very rugged and they live in a desert. And he saw the desert as a metaphor for American politics at the time of sure. against Ronald Reagan. And sure. He, you know, there's a couple songs in here that are critical of Ronald Reagan. Yeah, there's there's blues influences on this album. There's gospel influences. It's heavily influenced. The American music is all over yeah. it. It's funny you said that the Joshua Tree had these different meanings. They were out towards Joshua Tree, and Bono starts looking through, well, going through the Bible. And he says, we have to name the out the Joshua Tree. It's it's named after the prophet Joshua. In this album, too, is, I mean, they were a very solid rock and roll band up to this. You know, they would put out an album, and then they would go on tour behind it. And this one just absolutely explodes. This was like the money album. This is like the money that, this is the album that had like the most backing. They're like, all right, you guys can do whatever you want. You can record whatever you want. There's no like... Uh, what do you call it going on? There's no um, timer going on. No, now they're like almost. They call their own shots. Yeah. Let's start off. Let's do Street Have No Names. Let's see how this album starts off. AKA known as the greatest song ever written. The flame. 
I mean, that song, man, that for an opening track on yeah. an opening album and that, that kind of gospel opening, the way the guitar f- f- fades in, yeah. it, it's, it sounds hopeful and it's inviting. It's just, it's a great opening. You it, know, it makes me want to jump on the road with Jack Kerouac. Yeah. You know, and on, on the road. Like if, if life has a theme song, this would be in my, this would be one of my theme songs. This is like one of the most important songs of my life. Matter of fact, when the song comes on in McCusker's, if I'm working <laughs> and you see me behind a bar and I genuflect, there's a reason. Yeah. You know, we went and saw them live one time and I was coming back from the bathroom and they start playing and I run and run <laughs> and we really see to me like, yeah, yeah, you play. Yeah. I was reading about like what the name of the song was and Bono said that, you know, if you go through the streets of Belfast, you can tell what somebody's religion is and how much money they make by just knowing what street they live on. Sure. So in here where the streets have no name kind of wipes that away. And yeah. he um he wrote the lyrics to this on a <laughs> on a puke bag as a, he went to Ethiopia and mm. he was thinking about all the famine and stuff there and he kind of scribbled it on a on a bag. Um Really complicated song technically too, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a yeah. musician like it's, you guys are, but man, me and Ryan over the last thirty years we've been playing, we've been trying to play try, this been song. trying to no play way. this song. They like sometimes broken the fist fights when like no you, way Just, you can't pull it off. Only one band can pull it off. It's them. I've, I've heard them say that it's one of the hardest songs they ever recorded, yeah. and that the chord change was so complex that Brian Eno was like standing in a blackboard and he was writing them all down, trying to explain it to the band, and then Brian Eno got so frustrated that he was about to erase yeah, all the recordings yeah. and the sound guy the stopped them <laughs> and that um like 50 percent of all the time they spent on the studio making this album yeah. was spent on this one it was song. the first song they worked on and the last song they worked on in this album hmm. in the video too it's like they're playing on the roof of the liquor store just yeah reminds me of like the let it be sessions from uh, the beatles yeah yeah it's my i think it's one of my first memories of you two is watching that video and it just showed how powerful they were stopping traffic and like how how powerful the song was, you know, just seeing this band, especially Larry Mullen Jr., rip it out, you know, on the drums. You know, they're all on the rooftop. The sun's coming down. People are dancing in the street. What a great video! It's the yeah. per- it is the perfect song. Yeah, it's the perfect song. The first side of this album is just every every yeah. song is just every is song just on a it smash. Is, yeah, yeah. This game, this album is definitely a game changer for all of music. Yeah, for all of music, absolutely. It, it definitely raised the bar. We could talk about that song for hours and hours and hours and hours. So, so like, we can move on to the next song. The second song I still have on this album is I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. This is one of my favorite songs, is period, sure. in yeah. all rock and roll music. And this is, this to me, this is the one I think of. I think that was my first exposure to U2. Yeah. I remember the video and kind of. You know, them in the Generally street. Vegas. Yeah, Bono with his long hair and the way he's dancing. I and just, you just know. Through all the Vegas casinos and everything like yeah. that. But you know, this is a religious song. This is a song about higher power. I never knew that until like, you know, maybe about 10 years ago. Yeah, some of the um, imagery in it, like I carried the cross and yeah. I spoke with the tongue of an angel. What do you think of the drum pattern in this? I read I th- an article, I, they said it was weird. It is weird, but it's brilliant. There's like a little jump there and they're dun 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 why you play it all right cool
I remember like growing up as a kid, we, Ryan, uh, my sister and my dad and myself lived in the apartment upstairs. So Friday night would roll around and that song literally would be played over and over and over and over again. And I think that was like pretty much my first experience to like bass, just that bass line. And I have always said, like, I gave that song like major credit and what I wanted to do. And that's the, you know, we're, still want to do is play bass and just hearing that over and over and over again. That might've been my first understanding of what the bass guitar was. Yeah. This was, you know? a, this was an album. Like I, I think I played the cassette tape so many times it, I broke it. Yeah. It was just, but going back to what the drums were doing, Larry Mullen is such a underrated drummer. I think he's the most underrated drummer there ever was in rock and roll. It's going to go down in history be like, Holy shit. How about Larry Mullen jr. He, all those great songs that he played drums on you know, and then one day he's not going to be here, and they're going to be like, he was the backbone of U2. Sure he was. You know, and, you know, like U2 just have so many different things going on and different rhythms and different sounds that make this one sound. And it kind of slips by you because it's such a whole in a way. You know, it's such a, a one thing that it creates one thing. And, um, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe one day people are going to wake up when it's too late. But I don't think so. I, I just, Do you think people know that he's a great drummer? No. Because yeah. no, yeah, no, because you two fans are, you know, pop fans. You know, it's it's Bono and the Edge. Even though yeah. all four of them have their, I mean, Larry Mullen's got like the kind of the punk vibe to him all the yeah. time, and the the motorcycle jackets. Yeah, and, you know, they all kind of have their own little their own little image. But it's it's the Edge and Bono, and in the rhythm section. But it's Larry's band. Yeah, it is Larry's La- band. Larry formed the band. Yeah, Larry's the boss. <laughs> he, he, he lets Bono sing. <laughs> All right. The third song on this album. So you got two songs that just absolutely kick ass. And then it goes into With or Without You. Man, what kind of album opens up like this? One, two, three, boom, boom, boom. Biggest songs ever. And their manager didn't want them to put this out as a single because he said it was too unusual. This is a, this song came out of a demo that was floating around since the Unforgettable Fire. And the rest of the band was actually tired of it they were like mm-hmm. dude enough with this with this song and brian you know uh, convinced them to try playing it again and like play it a little faster play a little harder and they finally found a version of it that worked and that was what made it on the album and it's songs really like i mean it's it's another long song it's like five minutes long and it takes the whole thing is almost like it doesn't hit the crescendo until like three minutes mm-hmm. in you know yeah. bono's like vocals soar and then the edge takes off i was reading a little bit about the the rig that the ed the edge plays something on here called an infinite guitar that it's like there's only two of them that have been ever made but it's a some sort of device that it'll hold one note indefinitely oh, yeah. so if you hear it in the beginning there's mm-hmm. that one sound that yeah, that's that, him yeah. playing this and yeah him and like the guy who invented it are the only two that ever have well it. That, that's like standard stuff these days you yeah. know on pedals you can you can have that yeah know? but he's Definitely in, in whatever this album came out, later, 87. Yeah, yeah. definitely one, probably one of the first guys to have that, absolutely. Yeah. Let's hear a little bit of All it. Right. It's a little weird sound. I mean, you know, it's like one of the biggest songs ever. Yeah, it's their first number one hit. 
in the United States. Yeah. It's a big, it's a, it was a big single. It, and it's a song that will never die. The last three songs you just play, those last three songs, they'll never die. No, they're all timeless. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I still, I still listen to them. I still listen to this album. Yeah. I mean, just the first side alone is unreal. So the fourth song on Joshua Tree is Bullet the Blue Sky. Now, this is my song. Is it? This is me and Ryan's song. This is a fantastic song. I, I a couple of notes on here. I wrote that uh, the Edge's guitar solo just sounds like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. The tension in Bono's voice. So I guess he, he wrote this after going to South America, and uh, there was a civil war going on in El Salvador, and he's pretty sure that the United States was funding it. When he says, you know, the guy's peeling off the dollars to pay for war, that's, mm-hmm. that's supposed to be Ronald Reagan. Yeah, sure. There's just some great lines in that. Like when he starts um, poetry and they're yeah, like throwing him down. Yeah, man breathes into a saxophone. Yeah. You know, I could see those fighter planes you know, outside is America. Yeah. I'll play a little bit of it. I just love everything about that song. It just has such an attitude about it, and it paints a picture. I think it captures the cynical, cynical side of America. The money-grubbing preachers, the KKK, the military plans, the planes. Even in Rattle and Hum, Bono is talking about the preachers on the gospel hour, and he says, the God I believe in isn't short of cash, mister. Yeah, you know, that's probably like my. That's a great performance of that of that song. You know, it's just the cynical side of America of of both the blue sky, and you know, it took years for me to appreciate the song. Really? I, well, it's such a deep song. I I didn't I didn't no idea what it was. Man, about. I fell in love with that song the first time I heard. It. Granted, like you know, I never heard that song until like pretty much like the nineties. And it just blew me away the first time I heard it. After the first three songs on this album, and then you kind of go into that with that heavy distortion on it, yeah. that Hendrix sound on the guitar, and it's angry and it's political. You know, he just came out of With or Without You, and, he, and it just kind of comes around yeah. and just punches you in the face. It's great. It's it's just, it's the perfect album, man. I, I think this was probably the first album where I was like really diving into like the track order and stuff like that, too. We, you know, we, like we, I, I think I, 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 I know the songs in order. Some woman we can t- we can take this out. Okay. Some woman I forgot her name was researching today, and she passed away of cancer or something like that. But she picked all the songs and what order they all went in. I'm not really sure what her name is or mm. her or what she has to do with the band or anything like that. But it was a very important huh. thing. Interesting. But, but anyway, yeah, that song. It's just it makes me get a little like just fired up a little bit. Yeah, fucking great song. I don't. Yeah, know yeah. It's just a great. This whole album is fantastic. Yeah, and then the definitely. last song on the first out, the first side is "Running to Stand Still," and this is a dark song, man. This is just a song about a couple addicted to drugs. I think it's the most unappreciative song on the album. I think it's a beautiful song. I mean, I mean, it's a bad. The message of it is like what you just said, but I think it's so unappreciative. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, let's play a little bit of it. Adam Clayton actually said this was a sequel to Bad. So, really? Yeah, and in his mind. Darkness in the night. 
That song takes like paints a picture also. Yeah. You know, that song makes me think of Velvet Underground so much. I was like, man, that's that's heroin that Lou Reed wrote. That was also a song, man. When we were doing all the research for this, I went back and I listened to their discography in order. Mm -hmm. And this was the song I circled back to. So I guess like Friday night, I was I was at home, I was having a couple beers and I was watching uh Rattle and Hum. And I went and sat in my office with the lights out and put some headphones on and just yeah. listened to the song a couple that's, times. That's it was awesome. really cool. Yeah. The beginning of the song was great with, with the uh, slide guitar blues kind of thing. I think it's the beginning of, of Bono trying to become a blues man. Yeah, there's a couple songs on here that he, yeah. he tries that. Yeah. But I never put that together. Like how you said that reminds you of Velvet Overground. That's that's a great point. It never, never occurred to me. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, hang on. Gonna try. It's heroin by yeah. the Velvet Underground. It's like the same. It's the same song. Yeah. It's the same song. Yeah. So yeah, man, that's the first. That's the first half. That is, I probably listened to the first half of that cassette tape more than I listened to the second. Oh yeah. sure. No, absolutely, oh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Even we we agreed on doing this album. We doing this topic. Ryan suggested just talking about the first half of the Joshua Tree, yeah. and I was like, <laughs> let's just do the whole album, man. It's, yeah. You know, let's let's give some love to the other songs. They are so, some great songs on the second side. They are. I mean, but that first, those first five, man, are just yeah. just fantastic. Yeah, it's iconic. And the next, so, so the second side opens up with Red Hill Mining Town. Bono was a big fan of Bruce Springsteen. He really enjoyed his lyrics, especially for the working class. This song was inspired by England's National Union mine workers strike in 84. He really got into Springsteen's blue collar writing. And he, he not that he wanted to copy it, but he, he wanted to write songs like that for the working class man. This song was supposed to be the, the second single off this album, and they cut a video for it, and they just they didn't like it. Bono also was having trouble hitting the high notes in all the tour rehearsals, so they wound up canning it, and they released a video for Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For instead. And they still don't like playing this live. The, the first time they ever played it live was on the 2017, uh, the Joshua Tree anniversary tour yeah, when they played the whole awesome. album. Ryan and I went to that show. It was something very, very awesome. special. It was very special. Cool. It was yeah. a very special show. Yeah, and the song's just about a couple whose marriage is breaking down amid that, that minor strike in the mid-80s. Yeah. Let's, let's listen to some of it. That's it's a great song. No, I could, I could, it paints a picture in my head I, of, of seeing the line of men going into the mines to go to work every day. And I just think Bono's great at that you gotta give him something, give him that he can paint a picture. And the whole band, that's the whole setting. The first lyrics of the song it reminds me of the river. It really does. From father to son, the blood runs thin. See faces frozen still against the wind. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like a bunch of frozen men, frozen in time, going to do what they have to do to get through in life. And here they go down in this dark hole every day and the mine. You know, it's not it, it's not um, a job for everybody. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. 
And, you know, it, it was an industry that dried up also. Also yeah, killed a lot of people. Yeah, too. I, was, I was reading a little yeah. bit about the, the background of the, the minor strike, and I, I bailed out. I'm like, I want to focus on the music and not, you know, reading like fucking speeches so by Margaret. <laughs> right, speeches from Margaret Thatcher or something. Yeah. You know, like just, you know, I, I can't just uh, look at something on the surface. Mm-hmm. I have to go full in, so. Go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, the next song is one of my favorite on this album. It's In God's Country. I thought it was pretty interesting. I read an, an interview with Bono about this, and he was trash in the edge saying he didn't play music that matches the message he wanted on the, mm-hmm. on the song. And it was kind of interesting. He's trashing him in the press about it. You know, I thought this was the time when they thought they were cowboys. They had this sense of the wide open West landscape. Like they were going to be cowboys. If you, especially that time period, you see a lot of pictures of him. Bono kind of looks like a cowboy. And if you see the edge all his clothes look kind of Native American looking. Yeah, that hat he's wearing all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the vest that he wears all the time. It has like a, a, a print of a Native American eagle on it. I, I really do believe that they, they fell in love with the wide open West. I think like, again, they like they always change their persona. And that's the that's the characters that they were playing for this part of their career. In my opinion, it's their best of their career. But um, they they have a plan. They know what they're doing. Like I yeah. said, they're very theatrical. They they know what they're doing. Yeah. Let's listen to thirty seconds in God's Country. Bono wasn't a big fan of what The Edge was doing in there. Yeah, he said he just didn't like the way he brought Holy the guitar. Holy shit. Crazy. It's like the greatest opening yeah. next to the streets have no name yeah. on the album. What a great opening that has. That's just a great song. That's surprising to hear that he, that he said that. Yeah, that just... Who does Bono think he is? I don't know. That just sounds like... that. That's just a signature sound. Like, if I had to take 20 seconds of one song off of this album to talk about this, what they sounded like in this era, that's it. That's the Joshua Tree. Yeah. That song is the Joshua Tree. Yeah, and know? this this album, something I was reading, Bono was talking about, like, that they were trying to pursue an American sound mm-hmm. on this album. Yeah. And they he accomplished said that, it, yeah. Yeah, and he said, we're going to make an album in the primary colors of rock and roll, which is like drums, bass, and guitar. And that's yeah. it. Like they, yeah. you, know, you think about it now compared to some of the stuff they've done in the last 15 years, yeah. and like, this is just a rock and roll record. Yeah. That's what they were going toward. Totally. Yeah. I mean, except a few synthesizer things that Brian Eno put on there. It pretty much is a, besides the, the yeah, way. Yeah, you could hear a little bit of the synth in there. But, and, but all in all, it's a rock and roll album. Yeah, for something that came out in 87. Yeah. You know, it's still, yeah. it's, the music is, is pretty timeless. Yeah. The anniversary of the Joshua Tree was last week, wasn't it? This week or that last week? I think so. It was so. the last couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Larry Mullen's birthday yesterday, too. Happy birthday, 60, Larry. 61. That's hard to believe. He's the kid in the band. So what's the next song on here? Trip to the Wires. I like this song. It's very blues, country south. You know, Bono playing the harp. It's a, you know, their country swing hoedown kind of thing. Yeah. So the story that I was reading on this one was there's certain songs that Bono, there's like 
he'll write two songs and it'll be like they both have to be on the album and this was one of the ones that he said had a companion piece but the companion piece was the song sweetest thing and that got cut and that didn't come out for like 15 years yeah I don't see the connection between this song and Sweetest yeah. Thing, but I'm never, you know, I wasn't a big fan of that song. I wasn't either, but you know, who am I? So, I like hey, this. it did well when they brought yeah. it out. You know? I like that song. Nah. I All think right. I played it in a band a lot. That's why I liked it. Probably. Here's some Trip Through Your Wires. Again, he's painting another picture. That's a great song. I think it, it paints America. Yeah, yeah. As we're listening to the beginning of the, uh, you know, the bluesy sound and Bono playing the harmonica, I was thinking of the Stones trying to chase that American sound, and it was like, yeah, you know, we talked about that on our episode on Sun Records. It's a, you know, like America invented rock and roll, and you got these guys from Ireland chasing that American sound. Sure, they're so influenced by it. They were totally influenced by American music. Absolutely. I mean, toured America so much they they fell in love with it you know they wanted to write an album about America you know it's really funny three times uh during the Joshua Tree tour they uh dressed up as a band called the Dalton Brothers and they would be their own opening act and they would dress like hillbillies and play country country standards really yeah they did it three times on, huh. the, on the Joshua Tree tour <laughs> that's how much they loved American music you know I love Trip Through Your Wire, though. It's a it's a great American rolling song. It's definitely an American rock and roll song. All right, so we got three songs left on the Joshua Tree, One Tree Hill. I love this song. This is a that song was dedicated to one of their roadies that died in a motorcycle accident. Yeah, man, I was reading about him too. Do you, uh, do you have the notes on him? I I just know that he was a roadie and he was from Australia. Uh, he was a native Australian, uh, New Zealand, New Zealand. Yeah, and he took him up. He took Bono up to this uh, volcanic peak that they called One Tree Hill. And then you're right. He he wound up joining the band, uh, sticking with him as a roadie. He became Bono's assistant, and he was riding Bono's motorcycle. Oh. And he pulled out in traffic, and a car was coming the other way, and, and T-boned him and killed him. That's devastating. Yeah. And they wrote this song dedicated to him. And Bono wouldn't play it until like late in the tour because he was afraid that he would just lose it. Yeah, just I was. Sing yeah. about it. I was watching um, the, the anniversaries of the Joshua Tree, and even when he would go into this song, he would talk to this from one of my best friends. You know, he's been gone a long time. It's to, to know what the song is about and to hear the song now. It's 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 a whole new meaning. So he was getting like that, and that's. The anniversary tour for that was 40 years after that album, and it yeah. was still sticking with them. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear it. Yeah.
after you guys just told me that story, I'm going to feel really bad saying this. That's my least favorite song on this whole album. No, I, but you know, you, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah. I'm not crazy about it either. Yeah, it's the like gu- that. The guitars, it's like 280s. Yeah. You know, I love real it. thin. I, after the last couple of weeks of knowing the story and doing mm-hmm. the song, I love this song. I, I have a new appreciation for it. That's great. He, he, he says a line in it. It says, you run like a river to the sea. I, 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 I don't think even Springsteen could say something so pure. That's cool. Yeah, man. I, I love One Tree Hill, dedicated to one of their friends, even just losing a friend of mine past a couple of weeks ago. I can relate to wanting to dedicate something to him, mm-hmm. you know? And like you said, he gets choked up when he plays it now and watching him on YouTube play it. All those years later. You, you yeah. can still see it. It yeah. affects him. It's awesome. You're talking about you know the Springsteen thing in uh, Trip Through the Wires. This next song, Exit, is like a song from Nebraska. Sure, you know that's like if Springsteen wrote this, it could be from Nebraska. This song is about a murderer. He is um, a guy who's ready to attempt to kill somebody, Um, and all the words that Bono's saying is going across his mind. It's a really strange sounding song also. It was originally called the Executioner's Song, and the the music came out of a jam session, which once I read that, it kind of made sense, because yeah. it is a little weird. And the the story in it is really loosely based on the murder of the Clutter family, which is uh, the, the the book In Cold Blood or the movie In Cold Blood. That's, that's the murder that that happened in. And uh, yeah, my notes, I just wrote really Nebraska-sounding song. Can you play a little bit of yeah. it? Yeah. I think people can't appreciate that song. I think that's a song. It's so far deep into the album. It's like, all right, I already heard like every hit on this album. Right, I, I could skip this song. I'm musically exhausted. I've listened to all these great songs, but the, yeah. I mean the the atmosphere that he's painting with that music. Mm-hmm. I mean, you 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 can feel it in the way that his voice kind of moves up and back, and the atmosphere of the sounding like a stalker yeah, yeah it's like a foggy kind of like that that beginning of like unsolved mysteries when he's yeah. on the cover and yeah. it's all like misty yeah. yeah but that's definitely like one of the most important songs on the album as i think you know rather not it's like of course we all know that song because we're huge nerd fans for you too but like i think if you just have your average fan listen to it they would automatically fall in love with that song it, yeah, it's just it's I, just a really dark song, especially on this album. I think it's a very dark song. Um, this album is about America, and you know, like you said, it was influenced about a family. Uh, I'm sure they were from Ireland or something like that. But you know, America's the murder capital of the world. Yeah. You know, who had more serial killers than we do? It was actually an American murder so it was like these two guys went into like a farmhouse and they tied up this family i believe it was a family of five and they like they shot the kids in the face with shotguns and stuff it was like this horrible that's um, horrible yeah the movie the movie in cold blood is you know the, the guy writes a novel about or the guy he's a journalist and he tries to uh 
write a book about the murders and he winds up corresponding and talking to the two murderers. It, well, we were just talking about the crackpot. Oh, yeah, man. So, yeah, we're playing this. We're talking about it. So this song is also a little bit of famous because there was a, a wacko named Robert Bardo. He said this song inspired him to murder an actress named Rebecca Schaefer in 89. It was I, really sad. Yeah, he he had been like stalking her for a couple of years. And then he finally went to her house and he was all pissed off that she did a sex scene in a movie. Mm-hmm. And he said he he knocked on her door and when she answered it, he started like, you know, I don't believe you did this. You're just another Hollywood whore. And she shooed him away. And then she came he came back an hour later and she answered the door again. And when she opened the door, he just shot her. Right in the face. And he um he said the song inspired him to to commit the murder and they played it in his trial and they said he got like physically excited and he started lip syncing the songs. The dude was also carrying a copper copy of Catcher in the Rye with him. Of course he was. Of course he was. Mark David Chapman had on him when he when he killed John Lennon. So it is a great book. Yeah, it don't make me want to kill anybody, but it's a great. I have a couple copies, but um. Yeah, that song that song is just it paints its own picture. It's dark, it's scary. I think it doesn't get appreciated. No, no. Um, I just always love how it build how it builds and builds and builds and, and then it, it cuts off. And, and then it just set it sets a tone. Yeah, you know, it's it sets a tone. It sets like a again, another painting. Like, he paints another picture. When Eno's playing that synthesizer in the background, it just like sets the tone. Of murder. So then the last song on the album, song 11. Yeah, the last song on the album is called Mothers of the Disappeared. It's about a, a mothers from El Salvador whose children that has been assassinated or made political prisoners. They just showed up and took all the children away, murdered them or take them in for s- slave trading or anything. And, um, you know, Bono and and the Edge and the guys were playing um, El Salvador, and they heard about these women, and they brought them all out on stage and tried to give it a little bit more of a, attention. Yeah, Bono said he had no doubt that American tax dollars were paying for the equipment that was used in the the murder and torture of these people in South America. Yeah, another um, another pretty heavy topic. This is like a, this one's got a real like ethereal sound to it too. I just, when I listened to this, my notes, I just wrote, Brian, you know, it was all over this song. Mm-hmm. Oh, how yeah. It sounds, so, totally. Yeah, I'll play some of it. Not my favorite thing. I yeah, honest. you know what, man? Is as we we're playing this, so you know, we we start the song at the beginning, and then we get to a point we want to play for the sample, and it's like mm. we just played almost two minutes before it really kind of got yeah, to the yeah. get to the vocals. I'm like, there's a lot of songs on this album that have a really slow build before Bono's lyrics. Sure. Yeah, they really. Kick in. It's almost kind of industrial. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever really made it that far in the album. I think I just moved on to something else when I got to that actual song. Yeah, I, I think so too. Well, what do I? Know? I can yeah. never appreciate it until I, I I found out the story about the song. It's, yeah, uh, the story's great. The story's absolutely fantastic. The song, yeah. Eh, yeah, not so good. Yeah, 
They um, should have put a sweetest thing on on the album, right? Yeah, right, that right. yeah. So that's the Joshua Tree, man. One of the one of the best selling albums, albums of yeah. of all time. It's like twenty five million copies. You know, U two is going on after this, and they've released one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine other studio albums since then. But this is to like, me, this is their yeah. one of their defining yeah. moments. They had some yeah. good. They had some good stuff after this, also. But that's like that's. Yeah, this is the defiance of their their career. And I think, Ryan, I think you want to talk a little bit about Rattle and Hum a little bit. Oh, that, I want to talk about Rattle and Hum. Because that's really kind of like the end of this era yeah. of, it's, of it's, U2. It's, if you never saw Rattle and Hum, it's a musical journey. It's a musical journey. It's a musical journey. <laughs> um, it's black and white. Um, it shows U2 out on the road on the Joshua Tree tour. And it, it captured it. It really did. It did. One of my favorite parts of... Rattle and Hum is when they go to Sun Records and they recorded a few songs at Sun Records. They recorded Angel of Harlem. They recorded Love Rescue Me with Bob Dylan and When Love Comes to Town with B.B. King there. When we went to Sun Records, the drum set that was at the Sun Records studio was the same drum set that Larry Mullen played in the sessions and uh, they donated to Sun Studios. Yeah, even the videos with BB King, like they're they're walking in a like an arena ahead of time, like before mm. the show, and BB King's walking around with them, and he's like, you know, I don't really play arenas like this anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it it really really cool. Yeah, I, that's awesome that they did that. Like they brought him on like the majority of that tour. BB yeah, King, yeah, and like Absolutely. you know he you know that exposed a lot of people. BB King, I'm me and Ryan are definitely never heard of BB King before he did that, and it was just so like, and he just came out for like one or two songs. But he, they, they, they brought took him on, him on tour. tour with them. Yeah. I'll tell you a guy that they didn't bring on tour with them. Now, Bruce, you just saw Rowan and Hum. You see the part after he goes, they go to the church and they're singing, I couldn't have found what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, with the whole choir. Whole choir. Now, after that scene, he's walking on the streets of Harlem. He has his arm broken. He walks up to the street performer that's playing. I don't know if you remember. It's it's called he's singing Freedom to My People. Yeah. There's a track on there. It's on there. Play that track. This is a man called Sterling McGee. Now, Mr. McGee changed his name to his stage name, and his stage name is Mr. Satan. Mr. Satan had a very kind of successful career while he was still Sterling McGee. You could hear his influence on maybe Otis Redding a little bit on this recording. I put it on there. Bruce, can you play it?
That's a great song. Yeah, that had a very Stax record kind yeah, of sound they to definitely. it. Definitely, I have to listen to that again. But but um, Mr. Satan put out an album. Mr. Satan and Adam. Adam is the harmonica player. He tried to help him out as much as he could, but you know, Mr. Satan wasn't all together in his head, of course. Um, so he tried to try to help him, and he he couldn't get them together on the road and everything like that. There's a song on there also. If you could play that, I want you by Satan and Adam. Yeah, this, so it was like some research cool. that I was doing. Yeah, it's that's really great. Cool. I can't wait to, to dive into to you know, like, yeah. a lot of that. I was like, who is this guy playing in the background of, because of, they give him credit on the Rowan Hum soundtrack. So I said, let me look him up. Yeah, I was really digging that. I'll definitely listen Absolutely. to some more of that. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Satan and Adam. Very cool, man. Uh, I love Rowan Hum. There's a lot of great different scenes in there. Like I said, a lot of it's black and white. They got a great version of God's Country on there. Exit, Bad, which is wonderful. Helter Skelter, we opened yeah, the show we with. Yeah, we opened the show with Helter, Helter Skelter. Skelter. Um, some of the original songs on there, like we said, When Love Comes to Town, Love Rescue Me with Bob Dylan. Desire. Desire's a great song. Yeah. What's that last song on the album? All I Want Is You. All I Want Is You. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a great it's another. Song. This was like the first U2 album that I ever owned. Yeah, this is this is the introduction to our love of U2. The first thing that I've ever seen of U2 was Rattle and Hum. Yeah. And U2 was, this was like during the Zuropa tour. And I and I finally saw Rattle and Hum. I'm like, this is the greatest fucking band ever. But yeah, Rattle and Hum. It's a musical never, journey. It's a musical journey. Yeah, it was really cool. I had actually never seen it. Really? And I, and I watched it. I mean, uh, I'm this, watching. Yeah. I was like, I, I, you know, if I'm going to listen to all the music, I got to watch it too. And I really enjoyed it watching it Friday That's night. I'm glad. I'm so happy you enjoyed yeah. it. Because it's like a major part of like, of the 80s, 90s, yeah. what the band came. Yeah. Became. I mean, I know, I knew it. I'd, I'd listened to it. But after I listened to it, you know, when I was working, I was like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch it. Yeah. You know, that's it was really cool. I wish I could go back and watch it for the first time. Yeah, man. So that was, that's you too. You know, and they go on to, you know, after Rattle and Hum, they come up with Octung Baby. Uh, you want to hear something about Octung Baby? Go listen to our episode on uh, 1991 when that came out. We went into that a little bit. We talked about how 1991 was the greatest year in music history or modern music history. But that just sums up the whole band. Now they they went out and did Octung Baby and totally changed their whole persona again. And when that album came out, nobody was on board with it. Everybody was expecting the, like the Joshua Tree over again, but it was completely something different. Now you can't imagine that album not being around yeah that's a four i mean it's a four-year break yeah but it's completely absolutely different than what they what they've done yeah and that's really that's almost like it's so important modern u2 yeah. now but like, it's like can you imagine u2 without octune baby no you know it's, yeah. it became such a part but i remember when that album came out and everybody was like what what is this this is this is horrible 
you know? Yeah. And they were refusing on that tour. They were refusing to play anything from the Joshua tree or anything old. Like they left a lot of songs out and Bono's just simply like, cause yeah, we don't want to play them anymore. Yeah. They've completely redone their sound. I'm just looking through their discography since then too. And just how much they're, they some, have, some of their stuff. They have so many songs like yeah. elevation, city yeah. of blinding lights, vertigo, like the albums, like, you know, the popular albums these years, like all, all that thing you leave behind. Like, that was a huge album. And that came right around 9-11. And I remember Tom Brokoff getting on TV and saying, hey, listen, if you're having a hard time dealing with all this right now, listen to this album. It'll make you feel, hmm. like, a lot better. And that's a great album. And how this arm and atomic bomb is. Yeah, it was, like, number album. one. That's a great album. Back it was, like, number back, one in yeah. every country. And I think that's about it. And after that, they just kind of just... Well, they kind of got weird. Like yeah. they gave that album away for free, and that was horrible. Yeah, like just, kinda... they haven't really done anything that really made me. Their last spark album up. was really good. Dude. You think so? I really liked it a lot. I I liked that album a lot. That's when we went and saw them. Yeah, they, but that was like that, the Joshua that was a great Tree. Show. Yeah, no, oh, was... oh, that other show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. We've seen you two so many times. I can't keep track, Bruce. Yeah, they're definitely worth checking out. And they, uh, we get back to having concerts. They, yeah. they put on a fantastic live show. You definitely have to take your kids to see you two. Yeah, yeah. They weren't. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't with my wife at the time. The last time mm. they came around, it'll be yeah. definitely on yeah, our list. Yeah, list. And you know what else? Another good album: the No Line on the Horizon. That's a great album, also. Oh, that's a great album. That's a great album, also. Oh, yeah. Um, just different songs like "Staring at the Sun." Yeah, if God would send me an angel. That's yeah, yeah. Come on, discotheque. That's pop's a great album. Pop like is again, a great when album. now when pop came out, that's when we we when I first saw it, I saw my Franklin Fields. The only concert ever in Franklin Field was U two and the Pop Tour, and I just I had to go see U two because I'd never seen them. And I remember listening to that album like this is awful, but now. It's fantastic. Yeah, that album came out on my 21st birthday. And I remember putting it <laughs> yeah. in and going, what the hell is yeah. this? They really but made it, a joke out of yeah. like. But they were, they, that was the thing that they played. They're, it was a joke. Like, we're yeah. playing again another persona. Yeah. You know? yeah they were like, we're, we're like Walmart. They, they, had yeah. the, they had the album release uh, conference in Kmart. They announced the tour yeah. in Kmart. Yeah, they're yeah. like, we, we, we are the superstars. This is, that's a, to me, that's where they, they outsmarted themselves. Or they, no, they, they, they tried they too hard in a corner. Yeah. They paid themselves in a corner. I really do like that album. Yeah, so do I. That's a great album. I mean, the only albums I didn't like in the last 20 years were the one they gave away for free. Yeah, it's horrible. And the one when Adam's on the cover with his son. Mm-hmm. They're the only two albums I, I didn't like. The last album, I don't, I don't remember the name of the album, mm-hmm. but but there's a couple sitting. Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience. That's a great album. Two. That's a great album. Yeah, I I really like the song that they did at the end of uh, Gangs of New York. The yeah, soundtrack, that's a good song. That's like, a great the, song. The, the closing montage. Yeah, was cool. They just get criticized over and over and over again. He, of course, he doesn't help himself. But uh, Bono, haven't heard anything from you in the last year. You know, it's uh, it's almost your time to step up the bat and d- well, say, you know, say do something. He's more, sh- we're challenging you. He doesn't really do much for America. Yeah, it's more but for these, everybody else. Well, last time I checked, it was a global problem that we had. Yeah, but who knows what he's doing for other countries? Yeah, well, we just need another good time. So, play some more good music. Yeah, man. So that's it for uh, the the most famous band to come out of Ireland. You know, even the there's so many other bands we could have talked about. I mean, we could have done a whole show on just. You know, I think you guys could do a whole show on, the, on Thin like, Lizzy. 
Yeah, yeah. Thin Lizzy and I just wrote down Drop some other Murphy. Yeah, and, Flogging yeah. Molly, the Cranberries, the Irish, the, the Dubliners. Sound. You know, Thin Lizzy, Van Morrison. Christ, you forget about Van Morrison. I, it's very easy to forget about Van Morrison, <laughs> sir. So. All right, that's it, man. So let's do some um, some listener feedback. So I got a little bit of feedback on our episode on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame discussion. So oh. um, I got some, I got a couple. So uh, Rob Owens, the warden of the prison of rock and roll, said, your conversation on Jay-Z got me thinking about his song, Girls, Girls, Girls. It's not a Motley Crue version, but they do talk about the same topic. And the only other thing they have in common is that they both should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hmm. On a side note, I can name at least four Dionne Warwick songs. And yes, she should be in the Hall of Fame, just not before Tina Turner. Keep on rocking, boys. I'm not surprised you know no, Warwick songs there, well, Robert. He's a good company, man. He likes Henry, like Henry Rollins. Well, he's a big fan of Dionne. Dionne so, you know, hey. hey, hey okay. Rob can like who he wants. He's his own person. And he is the warden, so. Yeah. So, um, Alex Krismowski. I hope I'm saying your name, your last name right, Alex. He said the Smashing Pumpkins should be nominated. No one ever gives the Pumpkins any love. Siamese Dream and Melancholy are two amazing albums. I agree with that. We, we forgot yeah, about we that did. in we, the we, list. We, we forgot a, a few bands. Yeah. Alex, I thought of that like, oh, shit. Alex, you're the man, dude. We missed you seeing that in Cuskers. See you soon, brother. And then we did get some feedback on Kate Bush. So when we uh, talked about yeah. her, Doug did throw out, if we had some any listeners out there who can explain Kate Bush to the three Neanderthals who don't know any better. <laughs> we did get, we did get some. So, um, Ben from Portland in general, I like Kate Bush's lyrics and the fact that her music is both odd and catchy. She does have some great hooks. That's really tough trick to pull off in music. Okay. If it, you say it so. is odd. If you say so. Yeah. Richard Blomke. Richard, I hope I'm saying your name correctly. I've only known you for like four years. Kate Bush paved the way for new wave female artists. She was always willing to take a chance. Her haunting vo vocals are so fitting for Wuthering Heights. I get chills. Running Up That Hill is another good one. All of her music is not amazing, but she took chances and a couple songs are good. Okay, I will agree with you that not all of her music is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and she certainly takes chances. Someone else suggested that song, Running Up the Hill, as well. And I listened to it. And I, it, it's I'm still not sold. I'm not, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as shitty yeah. as the other songs, but, um, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a. Maybe we're the shitbags of the week. Because we, we don't are, get it. Right. Because we yeah. don't get it. I don't know. I, I, I listened to a couple of our other things, too, and I just didn't get it. Yeah. So that's it for listener feedback. So now let's move on to the electric chair. Doug, I believe it is your turn. It is my turn. The electric chair is sponsored by Lunacy Brewery Company, located at 1500 Kings Highway in Hannah Heights, New Jersey. So my my chair, my sentence to death, I sentence to death, Peter Frampton, I want you to show me the way. Kill it. I don't even want to hear it anymore. Yeah. It's horrible. I hate that effect that he does. Yeah, I, they just, it just weren't in the ground, man. I can't stand it. Peter Frampton might be in my top ten artists I hate the most. I think I think a lot of people I, do. I, uh, all right, can we can we can we kill this and let's just we sentence you to death. 
Yeah. Why was that album so popular? One thing that I heard, I I don't know if it's RCA, is somebody, when you would buy a record player back in the 70s, you got a free album with your purchase. I don't know. I forget. I want to say it was RCA, but that was the album that you would get. That's why it went gold, because every time somebody bought a record player or stereo or whatever, that album came with it's a it's a brilliant marketing pretty smart it's pretty smart pretty smart. somebody was pretty smart about that but i don't i don't think i like anything about peter frampton i think he ruined a lot of the talk box definitely it's one me. of the best-selling live albums of all time because I, uh, or that just, frampton comes alive anyway was given away when yeah. you bought when you bought the rca album or it's, RCA it's really record it's really interesting that would explain a lot because i just he's another one man i just don't i, get don't, it. I don't get it yeah well, that's why we killed him or yeah. killed the song anyway Thank you to everyone who's been listening to us. You know, if you want to get in on the conversation, check us out, man. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're always engaging with everybody on Facebook. We love hearing what you guys think about the topics we cover. We read comments on the air at the end of each episode. If you want to hear more music, you know, we publish playlists to go with each episode. So you can check out everything that we talk about, as well as some tunes that we didn't get to. I'm definitely going to go back and listen to some of that Satan and Adam stuff Absolutely. that Ryan dug up. Yeah, it sounded really Absolutely. cool. I think I'm listening to that on the way home. Uh, the playlists are on Spotify and Apple Music. We put links to them in the show notes and on Facebook. Special thanks, Mike Cianci, helping us publish these playlists for us and for you guys. And lastly, if you want some more of us, you can check us out at prisonersofrockandroll.com, anywhere you listen to your favorite shows. You can also check us out on the Pantheon Podcast Network, which publishes about 60 other shows on music. So that's it, man. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. All right, everybody. Have a great St. Patty's Day. Be safe. Keep on rocking. Peace out. Oh, just a prisoner.